When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. For all the latest betting markets, odds and promotions, visit williamhill.com. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Hello and welcome to Middle Please Umpire. Uh, Middle Please Umpire. <laughs> there is a good, beautiful bit of atmosphere. Uh, that is Mark, the voice of Mark Woods, of course, the unmistakable uh, Northumbrian tones of uh, World Cup winning fast man and uh, occasional off spinner uh, Mark Woods. Firstly, Mark, how are you? I'm good. Thanks. Here in my Shrinka room, uh, we've just arrived, so I'm isolating currently, as is the government rules. Our government or the Sri Lankan government? A bit of both, actually. Um, so it's been teed up by the ECB and the Sri Lankan government that when we got here, we had to go through all the tests and and um, be have a period of isolating. And then if we uh, brought back more positive tests, then we could be let out. It was strange. I mean, if you've ever seen the film um, Monsters, Inc., um, it was a bit like that when we got off the plane. It was, it was like a 23-19, and there was all these guys in suits um, coming over. I mean, we had our shoes washed three times or anti-back three times with guys in green suits. Then we went to the guys in white suits who um, did our hands in a, a big hazmat suit. And then to finish, we went to the guys in orange suits who um, did the test up my nose. Um, but in between, we had to sit in a sort of classroom, single file uh, away from each other. Um, so it was very it was very sci-fi movie or, or Monsters, Inc., if you want. Um, but all in all, we made it to the hotel. What have you been doing? What have you been doing? Come on, you can't ask me and then... Tell me about you. I'm freezing. I'm in Wales, and it's very cold, any more than two feet from a radiator. As I speak now, my youngest son is sitting across the table eating a toasted sandwich and humming. So if you can hear humming and crunching, that is... It's not... It's my responsibility, but it's not my, my fault. And is, it, is that because these toasties rock hard that we'd hear the crunching from the freezing temperatures? Or? That is... <laughs> It's just we couldn't get it from the toaster to the plate quick enough. <laughs> i tell you what, what was a major decision for me before coming here was what to pack in my case. Because obviously when you go on tour, you can pack a few different bits of bobs. Um, but knowing that you're in a bubble and you can't go anywhere. Solitaire? No, solitaire hasn't made it, but the toilet basketball hoop has. 
Um, my wife got me the toilet basketball game where you hang the hoop and you, whilst you're at the toilet, you can throw throw that. So if I'm not Oh, do you know that's not how I pictured it working? I imagined you lifting up the seat and attaching the hoop and then and then you would, ah, a basket is yeah, also that, a... Yeah, that's you know, not, when you, that when you get it in messy. the pan. You know, that could be a bit messy. I've gone for the, the cleaner version of hanging it on the door. And throw it on. But if I, if the bowling doesn't go to plan, at least I'll leave this trip a bit like Michael Jordan. Um, and, of course, you get loads of chocolates at Christmas, don't you? I've brought all my chocolates. So um, my suitcase isn't really filled with clothes or, or things. It's chocolates, biscuits... Um, toilet games. And, you've, bought, uh, you've bought food and things that you can help you pass the time on the lavatory. Yeah, these are not. Is that, un- is that normal? <laughs> that is. That is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they both play against each other. I feel if I eat a lot of the chocolate, then I'll be at the toilet a lot, which means I get to play my game a lot. Is that not how you're seeing no, it? I think that's. I think that's very time efficient. Yeah. It wouldn't have made sense if you bought, I don't know, diuretics and Twister. Um, <laughs> although that's a very good. <laughs> That is, a, that is a workout. I mean, that presumably is someone's patented weight loss regime. Um, mm. And then, that, so now you're in that phase, then you're just going to do lots of training. But what? Yeah. It's the when you all those fielding drills and stuff. I can sort of see why you have to do them because it looks good. But also, what are you really doing? Because presumably you've arrived reasonably ready to play Test cricket. Yeah. What so can you actually the, the do in the last days, few days that make a difference? Well, these last the, before we come, it's all about. Um, physical prep so are you you know in a good are you in good shape have you done been doing your running have you been doing your, your gym work and then when you get here it's along the same sort of line so I've got a, a peloton in the house um, and I, I subscribe to the app so I've been doing sort of bodyweight workouts in the room because that's all you can do obviously you can't get anywhere else so I've done a couple of them already in the room um, and then when as soon as you, you can sort of get out and you start playing cricket it's all about getting switching from that sort of physical although you'll try to keep a little bit of it up it's then getting your cricket prep done so that when you come to the first test you're not under cooked or underdone in terms of field and drill the high catches is pretty much standard what any club cricket I would do um, it's high catches someone at Triscothic at Collingwood with Silverwood they would whack catches close to the boundary the only difference is I would say is that a lot of the best fielders so Jordan Stokes they try and take one handers or they try and catch as if they're close to the line or they will try catching it close to the line and flicking it back so that if that scenario comes, because they're that good at just catching it, that they, they try and work to a match scenario and do it at match intensity where it might be a difficult situation. Um, they try catching with the opposite hand. Um, so if it's hit high to the left, they'll catch it with the right hand with their fingers pointing up, things like that. Um, and then the, the other sort of side of things would be the... Uh, close in catching so Collie will get a, an incredible so it's sort of cricket ball and he'll pretend that you're at extra cover and point and he'll smack catches as hard as he can with an extra cut like sort of one bounce speed and then the competitive sort of side of feeling we have a game called 21 which is two teams you have two teams positioned between point uh, square leg mid wicket extra cover mid off mid on and two teams and you have uh, throw the ball at the bowler's end if you hit the stumps it's one point if the guy then collects and throws it into the wicketkeeper's end successfully. It's two points. If you hit the stumps, three points. And then what do these? And then ultimately, someone wins a speedboat. Or what? What do the points? <laughs> no, no, it's not bully's prize board or catchphrase. Um, unfortunately, it's just you're the winning team. But when you get about eighteen, they bring about a dog ball that has like holes in it. So when they hit it, it makes it go. So oh, you must love and that. And it wob- and it wobbles all over. 
Um, of course, it's not easy to throw, but if you mess up the field, and so if you miss field or you don't collect, the, if you don't back it up right, or it's not a good throw at the wicketkeeper, then it's a turnover to the other team. So that can get quite competitive, and it's the, the first team to 21. And that's the game show, 21. <laughs> I I remember I, uh, when I lived in London a few years ago, I went to a cricket club to try and play. I'm, as you know, I'm very bad. But I And I turned up one night, and I was trying to play for the friendlies, sort of friendly second eleven essentially. And there were not many members of our team there. We turned up and there was about two of us that had turned up for nets. And so the like, chairman or whatever said, we'll just go out to the middle and practice with the ones and twos. And they were very serious cricketers. And it was really terrifying. And um, we started doing this really complicated fielding drill. And the coach was Paul Weeks, you know, he used to um, open for Middlesex. And this really complicated training drill broke down and he was a bit cross and I thought oh no this is going to be terrifying and actually he said a thing that I thought was completely great he said look the, the reason that went so wrong is that some of you know what how this drill works and some of you don't right now the people I'm cross with are the people who know how it works and haven't taken the opportunity to explain to the people who don't how it works you would have had time to get everyone up to speed and you haven't done that and you're the ones that have made this drill fail and it really made me think sort of very hard about like team dynamics and the importance of sharing responsibility uh, and that sort of thing. And I kind of, I just thought it was really inspiring. But also I thought, oh, that's good. I thought he was going to shout at me for having absolutely no idea what I'm doing. Trevor, Trevor Bayliss used to say to us, to be fair, things that you would tell him under 10 and under 11. So it wasn't any rocket science behind it. It would be like, uh, well, keep light on the ball, good throw, get up attack it uh just little tiny things and these aren't rocket science things when you're catching a ball or fielding the ball but he wanted to do the basics so well that it meant that it meant fielding was easier what what about under the new regime well it's, it's pretty much carried on the same obviously we've got chris silverwood as head coach but paul collinwood runs the fielding drills um that, that's quite odd though isn't it in the way that like collie was such an extraordinary fielder i mean Presumably there's things that he could do instinctively. And Collie being such a good fielder, a good coach, you'd think he might get frustrated or, or things like that, but it actually is excellent with what he says. Um, he just wants commitment, communication, um, all the little things that you might, as long as you are trying to attack the ball and communicating, which is, I'm guessing, the thing that you were on about. So if you if you have to run back and someone's with you or you're doing a drill where it's a bit complicated, it's talking to each other and, um, you know, all these things that you think because he was so good. Do you shout mine or do you shout your name? No, you have to shout your name. What do you go? <laughs> well, there's only me and you would know that. If I was doing that with you, then I would do it. But, I mean, that, I don't think that would work, the wood whistle, because... Josh Butler, Josh Butler knows it. Yeah, well, if, if you were to do the wood whistle, would I not look up and think, oh, there's someone here who I know that's the danger whistle. There's obviously something wrong. I need to find out where they are <laughs> and would leave the catch. So I would hope you wouldn't do the wood. Well, no, there's been a spillage on aisle seven. <laughs> what uh, no, what the is field, the biggest the sky? Room. What's the biggest sky you've ever been under, Mark? I took a catch in the World Cup against Pakistan at Trent Bridge. Um, that seemed to take forever. And then that's one of them where you can sort of feel yourself. Rather than just catching it, you go, right, get your hands high, make sure you watch the ball. Um, oh, don't drop this. You need to catch this guy. Uh, so the, all those things run through your head. But actually then the moment when it just comes to you, you forget all that and it's just get yourself in a good position, watch the ball. Um, but all when, when it goes ultra high with a bit of snow on it coming down, that's when you can almost think too much. 
No, it's hellish. What about you? Well, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I, I got concussed. Did I tell you about this? I got I got concussed under a really high one once yeah, at the you nursery. Did too. Went very, through your hands. Very unpleasant. It didn't go right through them. It, it sort of. I was glad it hit my hands at all because that took some of the pace off it. But I had a seam mark. But I did something I'd never tried to do before. I went fing- fingers up. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Mm, the Aussie wear. But I. I quite like reaction stuff. If you're close and it comes, you either catch it or you don't. It's the having the sort of thing. It's like being asked to make up your mind about something and you're going, Ugh. So you'd be you'd be a short leg. Are you putting your hand up for... Short leg. For the tour? Yeah, you, yeah you're putting your hand up for it. I would say, because um, I'm a sort of non-bowling Ashley Giles, I guess, I would, <laughs> I, I, that would put me in the gully, maybe. Remind me, what is your current favoured fielding position, Mark? In test matches, it's got to be fine leg, hasn't it? You can switch off. It's very important yeah, to be able to get out there and switch off. Yeah, I thought. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you some sort even of. Even if you're in the middle of a spell, you'd be at fine leg. But if you're not, if you're not in the middle of a spell, where would you be uh, feeling? Mid, mid on, mid on. Yeah, mid on. Or oh, in one day as your third man. I think. Look, I'm not even gonna lie to you. I think it's important to switch off at times in between balls. Otherwise, you'd be a bit. You'd go a bit cuckoo. So I mean, just actually go back to your to your field uh, to your weird stuff that we've got. Joss wears a harness to, and Johnny, um, of course, Bairstow, they wear a harness to keep in. And uh, someone puts a big sort of um, a resistance band on their back um, and will they'll have to move side to side with this sort of harness on. Um, and it looks like, you know, they're being thrown around trying to put them off balance when, when they're weight keeping and stuff. Well, like those things you'd get from the early learning centre so a child could sort of hang from a doorway and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But there's some there's some great bit of kit uh, not around. I mean, the rubber bats the the one now, isn't it? Every every club cricket coach has got one of those. The the small orange bats to to do for high catching. They're the in thing at the minute. I'm just wondering what when they're going to get something for fastball. I mean, we've got the rubber stumps, but they're not really give us much there. Have That's they? not exciting. You don't get anything. Like you're saying, if they if they get fancy bats, they can use using the inside edge or the outside edge. What, there's nothing you can. Could you give a fastball a really heavy ball just to make you sort of well, slowly stronger? Well, we've got that, but it doesn't really do a lot for me. You just need a, an arm around the shoulder and some confidence-building words, don't you, Mark? That's all you need to do. So today's question for everybody listening, um, I'd love you to send in anything related to training, whether you've got something, a weird drill, whether you use an apparatus that's a bit strange, or whether you've been really innovative and you've you've come up with something completely different, uh, write in, let us know on the usual platforms and uh, let us know your weird and wonderful drills, please. Weird and wonderful drills. Right, uh, we've got some correspondence here then that has been uh, sent in. Uh, so a while ago, Mark asked for uh, club nicknames. Um, here, we, here we go. Uh, from Nutbrook CC, uh, we have a player called Ali Hodkinson whose nickname is Abu Hamza. Uh, reason being, he simply cannot catch. Um, he has been blaming it on hand sanitizer recently. <laughs> All I can say is that Mark Wood has his head in his hands. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, from Andrew Monk. Dear Grandad and Owl, couple of nicknames to share. Uh, we had a player, very successful off the field, uh, so was originally called Shagger. Uh, someone wrote it in his cap, S. Hagger. Uh, his future wife saw it and he said he borrowed it from a teammate called Simon. <laughs> <laughs> which became his new nickname of course uh, also we have a chap called Crime he's never bought a round of drinks in his life hence Crime doesn't pay um, uh, Keith Ford 
Uh, Darren Goff nicknamed one of our players at the Royal Signal CC Bomb Scare. Uh, <laughs> it was down to his boring personality. He could clear a room in seconds. <laughs> oh. Bithemia. <laughs> <laughs> That is pretty brutal. Yes, it's um, yeah. This is this is probably our first terrorism-themed correspondence uh, package. <laughs> okay, uh, from Neil Wakefield, a club tea and a legendary story in one. Uh, so Neil says, uh, really enjoying the pod, and the David Gower episode was uh, a joy. Uh, suggests we've got, what, a 20% hit rate? Um, this legendary story from the late 1970s is also mildly tea-related, so covers two topics. Uh, during a game at Calverton CC in Nottinghamshire, our veteran opener, who thought he was a pinch hitter long before it was a thing, went for a hook and top-edged the ball into his own forehead. This was pre-helmet days. Unfortunately... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to picture when people are putting pen to paper, you think, what does this sound like? Does this... Anyway, Unfortunately, he started having some sort of seizure. Panic ensued and lots of shouting to the pavilion to bring on a stretcher. After a few minutes of crashing and bashing, the two tea ladies came running out with a trestle table, which normally housed the sandwiches and cakes, turning it into a hilarious scene from a 1950s slapstick farce. Having left the field unceremoniously, having left the field unceremoniously on a table, he made a full recovery and carried on with his prototype Ali Brown antics for a few more seasons, with very mixed results. Uh, that's extraordinary. I just suddenly I saw the word seizure and I panicked. But um, that is that is the way of the broadcast of the current age to be uh, en- endlessly fearful of uh, offence. I I'm slightly worried about the gentleman having a seizure in Neil Wakefield's thing. You kind of I don't know why you were laughing so hard. I thought it was going to be funny, and then it was quite I, serious. <laughs> I was laughing in in the sort of horror. It was a kind of oh no, where's this going? It's sort of um uh. Nervous, nervous laughter. If I'm honest, my my problem is my nervous laughter sounds like like normal. Well, it doesn't sound normal, but it sounds like the way that other people laugh at things that they find genuinely funny. I don't think we would bat well together, Miles. I couldn't work you out. Do you think I would just get nervous at the other end and just start just start shrieking with laughter? Well, imagine Mitchell Stark bounces you. Yeah. And you've just sweared back, and then I'm saying, "Oh, was that fast?" And you just start hysterically I don't, laughing. I don't. I don't think. Then I'd I'm s- not sure. I don't think I'd swerve out the way. <laughs> I don't think I'd see you, it, and I think it would clock me. <laughs> and that would be it. Well, let's hope you don't need the dinner ladies to carry out a tray table for you. I faced... I don't even know who the fastest person I've ever faced would be. I, fa- I faced Andrew Caddick, but he would he would have been um, mid-40s by then, I suppose. I think this is... I don't know if... Maybe I'm reading this, the signals wrong, but I think this is an invitation for me to bowl at you. Is this what you're trying to say? That's exactly what it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's set that up. Me, you, and Joe Hart. Joe Hart, left arm over. I'll bowl right arm over, and, and, and you get as many as you can. What an absolutely terrifying prospect. I mean, Joe Hart was talking about like athletes, fellow athletes, being terrified at the prospect of facing you. Yeah, and uh, and... I actually spoke to Mo and Ali about that, about when Mo was a kid and he was sledging Joe Hart. And Mo said that Joe Hart was an excellent player. He said that he was in all the county setups. He played West Midlands cricket, so the region, not just. So he was the best, he was the best Worcester cricketer and Mo was the best Warwickshire cricketer. He said he was, uh, he was, he was uh, as tall as he is now or something. And that 
he was he was as good as everybody else. Uh, but then he chose the football where he's played by Shrewsbury Town when he was like 15, 16, more said. So I think I think Joe's done himself a disservice there. I think uh, I think he, he he was a proper player. Uh, so Granddad and Owl, those those could stick as our nicknames on this, I suppose. Um, I don't mind that at all now. I mean, I'm actually I'm actually wearing a cardigan today, so I think Granddad is an ever more appropriate um, ever more appropriate moniker. Are you wearing braces? Do you have a minus cap? Do you have an allotment? Uh, I <laughs> I don't have a minus cap or an allotment. No, but I would. I would think quite seriously about investing in both, actually. Do you talk about our Jackie? <laughs> uh, yes, almost <coughs> relentlessly. I do, I, do, do you know what? Our Jackie, you're, you're describing, of course, your, your view of a granddad might be slightly different from my view uh, of, a, of a granddad, I guess. Um, I'm just reading a book, actually, that I'm completely loving. It's called uh, Slipless in Settle by Harry Pearson. You're currently reading it in your calipers. <laughs> Currently reading it between flare-ups. Um, <laughs> yeah, Slips and Settle by Harry Pearson, who used to write for The Guardian and wrote a lot for When Saturday Comes. And it's about uh, it's, it's about cricket in the north, Mark. Uh, so mm. uh, it sketches this lovely pen portrait, I suppose, of um, northern types. And in it, I've actually just read last night, so I read the chapter where he visits Ashington. Uh, famous, of course, for producing Steve Harmison. Mark, 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 Mark. You're not wearing trousers. Well, it's 135 degrees. I'm in Sri Lanka. This is a work environment, Mark. I've got my shorts on. Don't worry. I know I showed you maybe a little bit of leg there. And what about my half-shaved ankle? Because I get my ankle tape. If that isn't a a lovely sight for your eyes, I don't know what it is. Okay. Well, you're going to envy me, uh, listeners. I'm just going to put my glasses on to see what on earth. Mark is in an absolutely stifling hotel room and he just suddenly lifted his... He looked like a normal person and then he lifted his legs up and it looked like some sort of, I don't know, the bath scene in the notebook, something like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Miles, do you know who our guest is this week? I might even give you a clue. Did he used to open the batting for Lancashire and England? It's Lakeside Lizzie. (laughs) I think we should... Get Lakeside Lizzie or Elizabeth Arman from the the Times, uh, who's kindly agreed to come on the show. I think we should get her on in two seconds after I've just been to throw a basketball and a hoop in my in my toilet. I'd just like to take a moment to thank our sponsors who have helped make this podcast possible. Cricketers Gin is the perfect pairing for tonic, but also this podcast, as they also believe in creating something enjoyable around the sport we love. Cricketers is an exquisite local gin, a family business, and was inspired during a game of cricket on a sunny village green in Pinkney's, Berkshire. The founders decided that the quintessential British game, along with the wild botanicals growing in abundance nearby, deserved a bespoke artisan gin of its own. Cricketers is distilled to the highest London gin standards. All the ingredients are natural and added before distillation, ensuring it's the purest form of gin, and that Cricketers delivers a beautifully smooth juniper-forward gin. You can find this wonderful cricketing tipple at cricketersgin.com and we thank them for their support. There is a special 10% discount if you use the code POD. William Hill's Safer Gambling Tools help you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. 
So we are joined now by uh, our guest, uh, Elizabeth Ammon, cricket uh, reporter for The Times. Uh, may we call you Lizzie rather than Elizabeth, even though that's your byline? Absolutely. Does anyone call you Elizabeth? <laughs> they do call me Elizabeth, but I think only when they're trying to be patronising to me. Oh, right. Is that in a sort of an, a- an admin situation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Miles, I'm wondering, obviously, the, the Twitter handle that uh, Lizzie has is Lakeside Lizzie. I'm wondering what alliteration we could get for you for your for your obvious cricket name, Monmouth Miles. Monmouth, m- 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 something that's to do with well, leg side. Presumably, that's your that's your batting preference, not your yeah, bowling. Oh, well, or, or bottom hand, yeah. Yeah, or bottom, bottom hand. Bottom <laughs> hand. Straight, straight to cow. Shoveler. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Well, we we you, we need one for you. A W for wood as well, obviously. Well, wickets, wickets wood. Oh, wickets, yeah. wickets wood. Yeah, okay. I don't know what I'll go for. Middle, middle, middle and off miles. I don't, middle and off. Love it, love it. I don't think I've ever pitched a ball there. So obviously, I've got some experience of cricket journalism, Lizzie, but only quite. It's quite out of date, and I kind of wonder how how your life as a cricket reporter works then. At, not just at the moment, because obviously these are unprecedented etc etc but in, in a normal course of events then do you do you just do as you're told do you ring up somebody and pitch ideas i'd like to do netball this week i've noticed england are playing the west indies perhaps i should write about that how, how does it work <laughs> well I, mostly i do as i do as i'm told i mean i'm quite uh, as you know on the times we're blessed with um uh michael atherton and steve james and simon wilde so i just do as i'm told i pick up all the bits they don't want to do mostly as Woody will contest, cricket never actually stops, does it? Ever, ever. It just, it just never stops. Even when they're not exactly. actually on a, on a pitch, something, something's happening somewhere, either with the players or with the men in suits. And uh, I do write about the men in suits quite a lot um, uh, because, uh, you know, obviously they're quite important. Because with the players, you get the access, what, from Danny Rubin or, or someone. What about the men in suits? How easy is it? Can you pick up a phone and ring one of the um, mysterious figures in a grey suit and say... What, what's actually going on? <laughs> you, kind of, if you, have a, if you have a decent relationship with them. I mean, generally, you have to kind of go through the protocols and say, do you mind if I speak to so-and-so? Obviously, it's much easier with county cricket, and uh, county cricket is my love and my passion. Um, love it's that. The thing, it's the thing I bang on about. I, it's just it's the most Traditionalist, Lizzie. Traditionalist, aren't you? I am. It's the, I just think county cricket is the most wonderful thing, and I think sometimes we forget that... Players like Woody aren't dropped into the England team by a stalk, are they? They come from somewhere and there's been years of hard work and investment from club cricket through academies and county cricket. It doesn't, they don't just suddenly appear in an England shirt. So which county cricket has most impressed you? Which one have you, have you nailed anyone down that's now in the England team who you thought he'll play for England? Well, I had a look when I first tweeted about you, Woody. Um, Go and, on. Uh, <laughs> See, this is better. This is this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> and it was, I think it was, it was the beginning of the 2012 season. So that was before you played for England, wasn't it? Yes. And uh, yes. the tweet, the tweet was, "There's a lad at Durham. His name's Mark Wood. You might want to keep an eye on him." <laughs> that was the tweet. <laughs> to the point, I love it. That, that makes him point. sound like a real troublemaker. <laughs> yeah, it does. Makes it sound like... <laughs> um, but it is one of the genuine joys of this job. Honestly, I, I, it makes this can make me sound really soppy, but when you spot a young player um, who's 17, 18, 19, make their first class debut, and then you chart their career 
um, and then they get called up for England. And it, I, it's almost a maternal feeling where you go, that's my boy. That's my boy. <laughs> I've been watching him. So I watched Jofra's first class debut, um, which was a tour match against Pakistan. And, you know, there weren't very many of us in the ground. And I was commentating for the BBC and there weren't well, about two journalists in the ground. And, you know, he... I've never seen the black before in my life. And he piles it and rattles through the Pakistan top order. And I was like, oh, okay, we better talk about this bloke a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other thing is, I actually think we don't give quite enough love to the people who are just very good county cricketers. I mean, most of us would love to make a living playing cricket. And I think being a, being a, that's a horrible word, journeyman, but making a career out of playing cricket is really no mean feat. Um, so, you know... <laughs> Darren Stevens is the classic example. The bloke's been playing for a hundred years, hasn't he? I mean, that's he never has to have. He's never had to have a proper job. The fossil. <laughs> well, he is he got. I can't remember now if he's got a contract for this this year or not. Uh, he, has he has because because yeah. he, he keeps doing it every year. He thinks it's going to be his last one, and then he goes and bustles up and takes. I think that was the same with Collie in a, in a way. When I was playing with Collie, it was the fact that you know it would be another year, another year, um, and it wasn't until he felt that his performance wasn't good enough because he was still contributing as a captain massively to the dressing room. So people often don't see the value in, you know, people often will just look at stats and stuff, but Collie's contribution to the dressing room was still massive. Little things he would say, um, little insights on the game, little fielding positions. Surely you all know all the fielding positions, Mark. You can't be relying on yeah. it that heavily. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, meddling off, Miles. Um, but there's one, really there's one that we do that's sort of next to the wicketkeeper in case the edge is a bit... I can't remember what it's called, but perhaps we can stick a couple of people there where Mark's bowling. With the, with oh, these you the sort definitely of don't want them there when I'm bowling. Spread out, as often as I when I've come Sp- on. Spread out, lads. Yeah. yeah. Helmets <laughs> um, on the boundary. Yeah. Well, I think, look, look there's some... There's some um, there's some county cricketers out there, especially I think like Rushy and, and obviously you mentioned Darren Stevens, people like that, who, you, I mean, you must know, Liz, that when you look at these county cricketers like a Rushworth and like a Darren Stevens, you think, how haven't they played more for England? Because they do it time and time again for their county sides. But it's just it just seems like certain county cricketers just will never go that extra step, but will just stay at that level and be so good and so valuable. Because a lot of people not know, but a county circuit as well is very demanding. Mm-hmm. If I was to play a county circuit all the time, you could only at times bowl eighty percent, um, because it it's game after game, it's travel, it's then straight into another game, it's game after game. So the durability of these people and the sort of skill level it takes to wake up so and the skill it's so so skillful. I mean, Graham Onions is another, isn't it? Yeah. they just so so skillful, and I think that it's really valuable because the young players just learn so much from that, and they're just by being on the pitch with someone who's got, you know, 15 years worth of first-class experience under their belt. There isn't much they won't have seen. I suppose that the, with, like, England players as well, the, the people that don't graduate to England level, say, the people that do, one of the reasons they've got there, I suppose, is by playing that, that standard of, of cricket, isn't it? To, if you're playing, you know, if you're a young player and you come out and when you're making your debut, you first break into a side, you've got to face someone like Graham Onions that has that, that sort of level of experience at you or whatever. I remember facing, you know, Alan, Alan Richardson or someone like that. You put them on an English wicket. They're, they're ex- you know, they're extraordinary. I faced him in a Taverners game, I think it was. Alan, and he, I, was uh, I was opening the batting with Ashley Giles. It was one of those sort of, those sort of days. And he moved it so... I said to the wicketkeeper, is this, um, 
is he a leg spinner? Why, how is this moving so much? And he said that, and he's just trotting in off five paces. It was absolutely extraordinary. If a spinner could move it that much at club level, they would be delighted with themselves. So when he was touching gloves, Dean, saying he's moving at miles, were you saying, well, is he moving a little bit or moving a lot? Or we just, <laughs> is it like first <laughs> this is actually? Yeah. And how does this man know my name? <laughs> the, the other thing I remember about that game is um, our, our wicketkeeper, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie Dale, this guy came on to bowl and he went, right, I don't know who this guy is, I'm going to stand up. The first one came, it was very slightly down the leg side, he barely got a glove to it, it went for four, and then happened again, he let, I think he let four buys through three times in a row, just, he was, just couldn't quite get to it each time. And he said, this guy's quite quick, isn't he? And I said, that's Neil Carter who opens the bowling for... <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite sure why you're standing up to him, to be honest. He <laughs> said, oh, I see, right. And even when he was, you know, sort of 18 yards back, it was still taking a proper thud uh, into the gloves. Um, how, how did you get to the esteemed position that you're in now, Lizzie? Because it's a competitive, you know, you talk about the demands of county cricket, but to have a, to, you know, to talk about wanting to make a living as a cricketer, to make a living as a cricket journalist, that is a very competitive uh, I mean, it all happened completely by accident. I had a proper job for 20 years. Um, I worked for the government uh, in national security um, for 20 years. Um, and then that's something of a midlife crisis. Um, uh, which is showing my age, um, but but I I've always been into cricket. Um, uh, I mean, I was forced because of my dad and my brother. Um, uh, so when I was about I don't know, thirteen, maybe uh, I was at Sheffield Collegiate. I um, my dad and my brother were at Sheffield Collegiate, Rooties Club and, and Vaughan's Club, and um, uh, and I discovered you could get a nice little crisp fiver if you stuck dots in a book on a Saturday afternoon, and you know, and then you could go and spend it at HMV, buy a C- CD at HMV. <laughs> I'm really showing my age now, aren't I? You know, so I did that. I just sort of sat and stuck, stuck dots in a book. And it was quite nice, really. I really quite enjoyed scoring. And then it sort of osmosed... I didn't even really like cricket. I mean, I certainly didn't love it at that point. But it was... It just osmoses into you. Um, was there, can you remember, like, a, a sort of Damascene moment? Was there something you saw on the field uh, that you suddenly thought, hang on? It was when Sheffield Collegiate won the, the national knockout. The genuine kind of joy... Um, that I saw when they won that national knockout. And these are a bunch of, you know, very good club cricketers. Um, uh, Rooty's dad was in that side. Uh, very good club cricketer, uh, Rooty's dad. Um, and I just thought, do you know what? This is amazing. Um, this is just a bunch of disparate people who are just doing something that is quite hard work, really. You know, you play at whatever it is, 100 overs a day or 120 overs a day. And, and they're all pulling together. And I sort of thought, you don't really get that in other sports do you that we've had to spend so much time and in the Yorkshire League which I was scoring in when we we were in Sheffield and we'd have to play games against Scarborough which is four hours away so we'd have to go the night before um you know it was it it's a it it was you became so close to these people um and now I'm a a vice president at Sheffield I've just been made a vice president at Sheffield Collegiate and 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 it's still the same bunch of people that were there 25 years ago And, and I that just gave me a sort of moment about cricket really um but also uh, it, scoring around Sheffield and around uh, Yorkshire and Derbyshire kind of um was quite a a, a a seminal time for me really it formed my politics really because it was not long after the mines had all shut down and and you know you kind of saw the haves and haves nots and and how the cricket had become the cricket club was kind of the center of the community you know it was the miners welfare and the cricket club and and, and I didn't get that sense with any other sport. I mean, I didn't play because I never saw a woman play cricket. I didn't even know women could play cricket. I didn't know that. I just didn't know it was an option. But how did you get then from there then, from being someone, say, scoring 
for Sheffield Collegiate in Scarborough. How, how have you then got yourself to the position where you can sort of sashay into the press box at the Oval and tell Simon Wilde to get out of the way? So I started blogging round, round about when blogs were first started. To, well, that's, that would be sort of mid-noughties, wouldn't it? 2000 and... Yeah, it was about 2006, I think. I started blogging and then because there weren't many women, any women, um, sort of writing about cricket, uh, the BBC asked me to do some county commentary um, and uh, I started working for Spin magazine, um, uh, which was run by George DeBell at the time, who's now at Crick Info, and he gave me a real break, as, as did the BBC. Um, uh, and I just sort of fell into it, and then I got offered a job. Uh, what, what year are we in? It must have been 2017 I got offered a job by the Times. They were kind of looking for someone to do the news element uh, of the reporting. Obviously, reporting's got lots of different elements, and Athers is unbelievable, as is JMO at writing technical stuff and, you know, uh, interviews and match reports. Um, but there's a lot of sort of straight news reporting to do. You know, you have to write about who's in what squad or who might be in what squad or how many minutes you can put the heavy roller on in the county championship and, you know, all does, of those does things. Does Mark Wood's household have an out-for-out policy? All of these things. Out-for-out, <laughs> <laughs> that's it, go on. <laughs> That's anything for nothing to the listeners there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, the, two things, the two things I want to know from this, uh, Lizzie, is firstly, did you use lots of colour and pens when you did your scoring, or was it pure just black pen, or was oh, it pencil so you could rub things? Okay, yeah, different ballers, I love that. And the second thing I want to know is, if you could have, obviously you're saying um, there wasn't any women's cricket or girls' cricket, would you have tried your hand now if, you, if, if the system that's in place, well, would you I try did, to go now? I did, I did play a bit. I mean, it was interesting. Um, I, I mean, I've got a nice little away swinger. It's just that it goes about 35 miles an hour. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It's quicker than miles. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's all right. I've got a nice upright seam and it just shapes away a bit. Uh, it's just that Perfect. you have to wait about you have to wait about ten minutes for it to arrive at the other end. That's even better. We used we used to have this uh, guy in the local leads called the Doc. Um, he played for Newcastle, uh, uh, Jesmond, and uh, he used to bowl these little in swingers, and they were probably about thirty miles like slower than yours, little in swingers. And by the time it would get to you, you'd thought of three different shots. So in the <laughs> end, you would just you play a mixture of all three and get out. He was he, he would torture. Especially if you're a young player and you just didn't know how to hit him. What What are your three shots, Mark? Get out. <laughs> Embarrassingly, get out. Or slog it. <laughs> Lizzie, what What was it like then? Going into the uh, the press box, suddenly you've gone this thing, you've done this career change, you've had your quarter-life crisis, as you say, suddenly you've been given this um, this olive branch. You've been given another... Shot, like, that, like the moment in the film Eight Mile when Eminem suddenly makes his way into the uh, the hip hop the hip hop battle. I've got a, I've got a thing of like Lizzie going into the press box and being like in New York, uh, Lakeside Lizzie. Quick question: the tape. Uh, a... <laughs> it was weird. I mean, because I'd come from the civil service, which is a bit soft and fluffy. Um, uh, you know, great place to work, but but you know, quite diverse and, and soft and fluffy. And I walked into a press box there were 150 blokes in there I couldn't see a woman um and they're all gnarly and grumpy I mean no, that's not fair they are they're not, they're not but when you're faced with that I was like wow wow and also what are all these people writing um yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> what are you writing I don't understand um it was I mean it was absolutely fascinating and I'm still absolutely fascinated and um I mean I do end up feeling incredibly sorry for the likes of Woody and the other because they have to sit 
in front of us. And because there's not many of them, you know, there's, you know, on a, on a, on a home series, there's only kind of 13 of them in a squad. So they have to, you know, they see us more than they would like to, I think. They have to sit in front of us, gnarly old hacks, and listen to our stupid uh, questions. Uh, honestly, honestly, I, I don't mind it. I honestly don't mind it. I feel like <laughs> you it, have to say it, that. it types. No, honestly, I don't. I honestly don't. Um, I think if you're, if you're honest, um, with people and you can give an honest interview. I think that's a better way to go. I mean, you must have heard a million times the cliched answers that some people give and I, I, that's the thing that bothers, bothers me more than anything. I mean, I just think that, you know, yes, at times you, you kind of be reckless, but if you're honest, then, then people, not just journalists, but people reading or people watching if it's a, a TV interview can relate to that person more. Whereas if, if you just give a cliched, I mean, what's your top, you must have a top cliched answer. Oh, good areas. Right areas. Please don't say that anymore. Please don't. What are the right areas? That is, that is what I'm going to say to you first time. First time we're together. And also, as a unit. As a unit? Yeah, unit. Baton partnerships unit. Because there's that, yeah. that two-level thing, isn't there? Sometimes someone that sits in front of the, uh, the press pack has to say things that aren't true, but for the benefit of the team or whatever. So, for instance, if someone's in, like, absolutely shocking form or whatever, then the coach might say, no, he's just... We know he's just, honestly, he's playing really well in the nets or whatever and uh, no one doubts him whatsoever even if back in the dressing room everyone sort of puts their head in their hands whenever <laughs> he starts putting his kit on or, or whatever that that's part of the job isn't it is being is being nice about people and that is dishonest and do you feel <laughs> Lizzie liar yeah <laughs> but do you feel when a game's being played like that could you say that as a journalist could you say Trevor Bayliss said that Mark Wood is one of the bravest batsmen he's ever seen and he's clearly doing this to just you know, boost his confidence. But could, do you think, in a way, that you have to be part of that theatre, Lizzie? Uh, no, I don't. I think our, our absolute number one job is to tell the truth as we see it. Um, uh, you know, if you don't do that, then I don't really know what the point of you is uh, as a journalist. Now, of course, you know, someone's truth is someone else's not truth. Um, but, um, uh, I mean, I think the fundamental thing is that, and I think the players get this now, is that we're not... Everyone's on the same side here, really. <laughs> you know, we're all on the same... We're all... We're all just trying to, we all just love cricket. We're all trying to promote cricket. Now, clearly, as journalists, we're trying to get a line and we're trying to get a headline. You know, no one buys a newspaper that says, didn't everyone do well, do they? Um, but we're all on the same side and we're not, we're not actually fundamentally out to get anyone. You know, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not, we don't want to, we don't want someone to fail. And actually, people like to read success. You know, I mean, we saw from 2019, the best read pieces were the ones about the World Cup final and about Ben Stokes at Headingley, you know front page, back page, 25 pages in the middle. You know, we love that sort of thing. But there is that element, isn't there, where you have to... You wouldn't be there. There can't be anyone that's got into that press box that doesn't like cricket and isn't incredibly... <laughs> well, <laughs> are there some? <laughs> I, 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 no, I think everyone fundamentally loves the game. I mean, I think the job can slightly wear you down a bit. Um, I, I mean, it's quite... It's not glamorous. Uh, people think it is. And it, it, I, I, maybe it is for some people, but it's not... <laughs> It's not glamorous, especially if you're treading the county circuit. I mean, it's not, it's not glamorous at all. And it's long days because when they finish playing, that's when we start work. So, you know, the World Cup final was so stressful um, for all sorts of reasons. But a lot of it was because it didn't finish till about 20 to 8. Um, and the newspaper deadline's at 9 o'clock. How are you supposed to write up that mental game? And then we have to go and interview everyone and try and get the quotes in. And I, 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 I just sat, as, as just took the bales off, I just sat and cried. Um, <laughs> a, because it was so incredible. Also, I was like, 
oh no, now I've got to do some work and I can't go and party with everyone else. I suppose that responsibility, if you think, if I'm writing this, I want to write this for someone, say there's someone that hasn't watched any of the World Cup up to now and they haven't watched this game and they don't know the results and the first way they're going to sort of get any sense of how the World Cup final played out is from my you know, my writing of it. That, presumably, that's a terrifying responsibility. Uh, it is. Thankfully, on my paper, um, we have Michael Atherton, so I can just... <laughs> As Michael I mean, Atherton said, England won the World Cup yesterday. The men's <laughs> suits are up to no good again. <laughs> um, I mean, I can't praise him enough. He is... A, a, an unbelievably good writer. You know, I well, say Mark is like, Mark is always Mark is always going on about how good Mike Atherton is. Just, I mean, I sit next to him sometimes and think, and I, Marry I, he's, me. He's, well, his screen is empty, and then I kind of look at mine and then look back, and his screen's full, and I think, how how have you done? How have you just written a thousand words of incredible? No mistake. Because he's on the phone and, to Miles Jupp every minute. Because Miles oh, okay. is world, the world's biggest fan. Uh, That's why Mark, Mark is absolutely delighted. In fact, I'm quite relieved that it, normally it's my job to bring every conversation around to <laughs> the merits of Michael Atherton, and I've been, it's just been able to happen. You must be absolutely delighted with this, Mark. I go on about how how amazing Atherton is sometimes. <laughs> I think you've teed. I think this has been teed up before before Lizzie's come on. Something has happened here. If you can get anything about Michael Atherton, I'd be truly grateful. Person. I it's, with it's a meritocracy. It's a meritocracy. The cream rises <laughs> to the top, Mark. If it's he's being spoken about because he's good. That's all it is. He's a big fan of yours, Woody. Oh well, I love him as well. Then there we go. Miles, <laughs> you've been saying all along. I've been telling you, Miles, day after day, what a great guy he is. <laughs> um, I've been, uh, is there any um, sort of like um, relationship between the sort of press writers and then the TV, or is that or adversely, is there any sort of tension between each? Uh, press writer is there or do, do you all get on well or no we do we do all mostly get on well i mean sometimes there are what are called pbis press box incidents um they tend to happen at the uh, the end of a long tour uh, i mean let's face it you are stuck in a room with people for 10 hours a day you know five for five days and then on tour that you know weeks on end they're gonna irritate you aren't they you know that uh, by the end of the world cup there were some people where I, I looked and thought, I'm definitely going to sit at the other end of the press box because you're just annoying me now. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but no, everyone does mostly get on well. Uh, there's a little bit of tension between um, TV and writers uh, just because, you know, that's just the nature is who's going to go first, who's going to get the big scoop, who's going to interview the person first, who's, uh, you know, and boring, boring press stuff like embargoes. And who's mm. putting this out when and you know what, it's, what, uh, it's are, the, what are really. the protocols regarding a scoop or whatever if someone like uh gets hold of a story i mean is it you keep it to yourself you keep it to yourself and that's a, so <laughs> oh, yes. for instance like a good recent example would be say alex hales prior to the world cup in 2019 mm. so that's like an ali martin story wasn't it so he just holds on to it, and the first you would hear about it when you when you read it's about when it. when they publish, yeah. So you know that's your job, really. It's so much about contact. I mean, so much of this job is is being on the phone, just chatting to anyone and everyone. And it's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I adore county cricket is that you just can chat. You know, you, it's so informal, and it, you just can go and chat. And, and the members, the county members, much as you know, it's sometimes a bit care in the community. They're really knowledgeable people. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> so is that really is that really rude? You know what I mean? I'm not being. I'm no, trying, that's not, just that's a very very strong '90s reference. <laughs> um, uh, but you, they they're knowledgeable. They're really knowledgeable. So if you get up um, off your bottom out of the press box, then I think what that's one of the be- best advices I was ever given was, don't just sit on in front of your laptop and stare. Go and talk to people, anyone and everyone. Um, because also the, the access and is glorious, I think, at county cricket. Even now, that sort of thing, you can just kind of wander about almost anywhere and you end up, you go and look for a cup of tea and you sort of end up next to the where the players are, that sort of thing. Or I used to love that, being able to still go on the outfield during the intervals. That, that's, that's proper for me, I think. Yeah, and there are still several places you can do that. Hove, uh, I mean, there's nowhere like Hove. You must love Hove, Mark. Yeah, great place to play. Um, don't up, need to or, look- up, up or down. Up or down the slope? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Um, in my height, probably up the slope's probably better because it gives me a little bit more bounce, but there's nothing like running running downhill because uh, you can really pick your legs up and get I some mean, good what, momentum. So. Watch, watching Joffre come down that slope at Hove, I mean, it's terrifying. Wouldn't want to be anywhere near it, would you? Not from I wouldn't know from Square Lake, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really easy. <laughs> you don't know how fast it is from side on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What from your from your with your your sort of journalistic uh, senses then I suppose it, in terms of that thing of you're always looking for a story or you you know or your the stories are there and you need to un, uncover it how does the mind work then for instance if you've now had you've there you are you've got on your Zoom you've got Mark Wood sitting in his hotel room uh, what what would be from a journalistic point of view what would you pick up what would be a story if you had to write I mean and. God, I hope you don't. But if you had to, if you had to write five hundred words based on this conversation, what would you? Well, I mean, we'd go in on the out for now, wouldn't we? You know, would he love the, <laughs> would, would would he love the freebie? Uh, that he's Mark, Mark Wood will accept. Yeah, yeah. If you don't um, know what to get, and, Mark Wood, get him vouchers. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh. You two that... have definitely been on before I've come on here. There's something going on. <laughs> I've been teed up with a mic laugh at, and then this out for out. He's, just, he's a very good writer. He's a very good writer. <laughs> he is a very <laughs> good writer. <laughs> I think there's nothing... The out-for-out out thing, that's sensible. That's absolutely... The amount that gets wasted in this country. Uh, I mean, no-one loves a freebie more than a cricket hack. Uh, we go round grabbing <laughs> everything we can find. Um, but the, the, days, the days of sort of buying a, buying a book of blank receipts from a taxi driver have gone, haven't they? That's... Officially, they have. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, they have. We uh, we can't shove um, lots of booze on our expense accounts anymore, sadly. Um, and and I was warned that you know being the life of a hack was very boozy. Um, and it's not quite as boozy as I think people think it is. I mean, we don't drink during the day anymore. So they did used to sit in the press box. There was a fridge at the back with lots of booze in. We don't do that anymore. We wait until at least, you know, we've finished our press conference that at the end of the me. day. When I went, to, um, I went to India in 2006, pretending to be a journalist, and that I realised quite early on, I kind of assumed it would be boozy. And then we'd get to the end of a meal and think, I'm the only one here who's absolutely roaringly drunk. <laughs> Everyone's... And, and I'm the only one who's not going to be here. You know, they'd have had sort of a glass or two each when I'd be at one end of the table. And I would find stuff hysterically funny that other people found deeply inappropriate as a result. When, when we go hard, we, we go really hard. The night before England lost to Sri Lanka in the World Cup at Headingley, um, we just, you know, we, as a group, we thought we'd go out and have a nice quiet dinner and a couple of drinks. And the next thing I know, I'm walking back with 25 Zambukas on a tray. And, and we crawled in, at, I think it was half four, um, and it was a 10 o'clock start, wasn't it? Or 10.30, 10.30 start. 
Couple so of Stokesy a little bit worse for wear than was he, or was he? All right? <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of casualties who didn't make it until the innings break. Didn't make it to work until the innings break. Yeah, <laughs> big night. That's very sad to hear. Very sad. Which which is your um, favourite county ground out of um, interest? Oh, I love a trip to Worcester. I love a, I love a trip to New Road. Um, and I like a county ground. In your canoe. Like, in my canoe. <laughs> Um, I like a county ground that's a county ground. So I love Hove. You know, I even like Wantage Road and Grace Road. I like. A, I love Wantage Road. Yeah. A cricket ground that looks like a cricket ground that isn't trying to be anything else. Do, do you like outgrounds as well, then? Oh, Arundel. Uh, where else do I love? Uh, I like going Cheltenham's to Northern. Nice. Ch- Cheltenham's nice. I quite like going to. I quite like going to Northern. Yeah, Oxbridge is an absolute delight. That flat wicket depositing bulls onto the A40. <laughs> um, I quite like North South, actually, Woody. Yeah? Yeah, I quite like... Uh, but it's... Um, well, Scarborough, I suppose. Scarborough's technically an outground, isn't it? Yeah, Scarborough's a lovely, uh, Scarborough's a lovely day out. Uh, it's a bit raucous, um, but there's nothing quite like going to Peasone Park and watching the boats being blown up to Sea Life Centre and, yeah. Uh, and the... Um, f- what is, it? is it called the f- funicular, uh, funicular Railway that goes up the side of the cliff that you could walk up as quick? And there's that castle, isn't there, in Scarborough, that people don't... Scarborough's got an amazing castle. People, you know, forget about it. They've got seagulls the size of albatrosses. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, they're they're vicious, aren't they? Really vicious. Mm. Mm. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, there's so much to love about the county circuit, but it does... uh, Chris Nash does a uh, hashtag county ground, doesn't he? Um, Because it's on Twitter, because it it is quite a grind. (laughs) It's It's a bit of a grind. Right, uh, yes. Okay, so this is Mark Wood's super over, Liz. Um, okay. It's a, I don't want to use hackneyed phrases like incredibly popular furniture item or um, inspiring piece of broadcasting, but um, if anything speaks for itself, it's this. Uh, you've got 90 seconds, thereabouts. Don't think, just speak. Mark Wood, super over, starts now. Right, Lizzie, what's your favourite drink? Hey. Favourite music band? Massive Attack. Your favourite TV show? <laughs> Call the Midwife. <laughs> Any superstitions? No. Uh, what was your favourite school lesson? Russian. Would you rather whistle, click, clap or hum? Oh, clap. Whistling makes me, want to, makes me violent. I hate people whistling. <laughs> I hate it, hate it. <laughs> what... Uh... What was your favourite childhood toy? Oh, My Little Pony. Mm. Hot bath or cold shower? No hot bath. Name two types of trouser. Jeans and cords. (laughs) What? And who's your your favourite TV owl? Oh, Professor Yaffle. By the barest of margins. Yes, Lizzie. Boom, nailed it. Miles, what did you think of that? I'm very impressed with that. The Professor Yaffle, when I think, I think was one of the options for. I've got a uh, one of my support team has come in looking for um, one a of Lego, the back, one a Lego Iron Man. One, one of the backroom staffs there. Uh, that's right. Uh, uh, just, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take it in the uh, north room. Thank you. Um, the, <laughs> uh, uh, two headed. Um, the. Um, that's, uh, yeah, plus fours, please. Um, that's right. Sorry, it's just, he's very, he's very hard-working. Uh, massive Attack, that's, that's an excellent choice. Professor Yaffle, I'm pretty sure that was what I went for as an owl. And then I think someone said technically Professor Yaffle isn't an owl. He's a carved um, wooden owl, bookend. I would, I would also accept Boo Boo of uh, Clash of the Titans, and that's a mechanical owl. 
So technically, I think we should let we should let it slide. I think the the biggest thing for me that was the whistle. Oh, it makes me honestly. It if people are whistling the in the if people are whistling in the press box, I go and stand next to them and give them that mum stare over my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Being at a county ground, though, you must hear whistling oh, all the time. And these old men and they jangle their coins in their pocket and they whistle inanely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've opened up a world of hurt for me and you now every press you conference gonna I'm going to come in and whistle and say good areas you have to understand that Mark communicates almost entirely by whistles oh you're going to get the mum I even you're... have something called the wood whistle it's a oh, family whistle I kinda, I'm, I'm shocked did your Russian come in useful when you were working in the civil service was uh, it? Um, no I was a bit I, my, I was in the wrong era didn't work there in the cold war did I <laughs> Lizzie thank you very much uh, for you're, coming you're on. Very, you're very welcome. I look forward to some cricket. Hopefully, when this goes out, we'll be maybe we'll uh, be in the lead here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in Sri Lanka, hopefully. So. Cool. Lizzie, thank you so much indeed for joining us. Um, I, hope, uh, I hope there's some cricket for you to see soon. I hope so. And uh, if, by any chance, you just exceed an exciting press release, you will, you will uh, undoubtedly spin some gold. Uh, all right. <laughs> Very nice to see you. Lovely to see you guys. Stay well. Be good. Thanks, Lizzie. Uh, well, thank you very much indeed to our, our guest this episode, uh, Elizabeth Ammon, Legside Lizzie. Uh, thank you for listening. As uh, Mark said, if you have any um, uh, stories you want to tell us about uh, odd coaching methods or training drills, uh, effectual or ideally ineffectual, the email address is uh, middlepleaseumpire at hotmail.com. Uh, thanks very much for listening Mark um, uh, good luck out there uh, please Thank please you. remember in the fu- in future uh, when there's other people on the call just clothing it's a kind of I don't want to talk about <laughs> I mean you talk about your coaches continually reminding you of the basics in a sort of social environment you know when, <laughs> you know clearly when you're on your own in that room you're having an absolute ball. Uh, you know, you've got your giant chest set up in the bathroom, all of these things you do to pass the time. But just, I would just from a sort of, I like you, but that is a lot of leg. <laughs> Roger that. Thank you, Miles. Roger. Oh, should be taken and is taken. Brilliant from Mark Wood. What a spell this has been. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and email us at middlepleas at hotmail.com. Please also leave a review if you've enjoyed it. Thanks to Mark and everyone behind the scenes, including Cricketers Gin. Middle Please Umpire is an electric production in association with Playback Media. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.